Hello, I'm Hannah Kaplan, and this is the WCS Wild Audio Podcast, where you'll find reported audio stories covering the latest news and newsmakers from the Wildlife Conservation Society's Global Conservation Program, Zoos and Aquarium, and their many partners. We've got a great show today, so let's get to it. The most important thing we can do to address climate change is reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Protecting intact nature can also be a big part of the solution. But let's say we do these things and we manage to constrain climate change. What type of world will be left for us to live in if we don't intentionally change our conservation strategies now? That's where climate adaptation has a part to play. Dan Rosen has the story. In the U.S.'s Southwest, like in many places, climate change is having a big impact driving drought, warming temperatures, and much more. This includes for the Navajo Nation. There, climate change is a threat to wildlife, to culture and traditions, and to human health. There's a nonprofit group in the area, Talani Lake Enterprises, that's working to respond. They launched a pilot project to restore over 100 acres with native and climate-adapted plant species. The hope is that this type of restoration will make the landscape more resilient going forward. It's one of many projects that Liz Tully and the WCS Climate Adaptation Fund have helped support. Here's Liz. Climate adaptation is proactively preparing for, coping with, and responding to the impacts of climate change. It's all about seeking different ways to help nature and people thrive in the face of a changing climate. Importantly, it's not an alternative to addressing the root causes of the crisis, Liz says. It's a complement. If we don't do adaptation now, and we eventually succeed at our mitigation goals, we're not going to have intact functioning ecosystems. We're gonna have destroyed landscapes and human communities. It's, it's a way to keep things as functional and intact as possible while we're fighting that mitigation battle in the atmosphere. Adaptation is you know, more like the ground game or the ground battle. Um, we have to keep our foundations intact through this tumultuous time period so they are in as productive of a state as, and stable of a state as possible when we meet our mitigation goals. Since 2012, WCS has been the administer of the fund, which has financed over 140 adaptation projects in 48 U.S. states, with the support of the Doris Duke Foundation. Talani Lake Enterprises, the group I mentioned at the top of the episode, is one. Liz has managed the fund, which has awarded over $24 million to this big list of partners which includes many tribal groups around the U.S. When tribal partners started showing up in our proposals at an increasing rate, it really evolved our program even more to understand that in some cases there is just, it's not that there is a conservation project that provides human co-benefits. There are projects where the human co-benefits and the ecosystem benefits are one and the same. One thing Liz and the team started understanding was the true value of the biocultural resources that are at the heart of these indigenous and tribal-led projects. Cottonwood and willow trees are being used as an intervention and a solution to be placed and planted to either be, be planted as vegetation or be used in beaver mimicry structures to slow the flow of water and increase stream meanders. Um, but also those species are culturally and spiritually relevant for spiritual ceremonies. So they're performing these dual roles um, and the benefits are dual to the ecosystem and to the people and the tribe. So that's been a really kind of fascinating evolution, I think, is for our program nationally when it comes to tribal partners. 
In recent months, we've all seen the pace and the intensity of climate impacts. That shift and the lack of predictability are big challenges for the people trying to do adaptation work on the ground. Another challenge to this work, Liz says, is changing the mindsets of conservationists and natural resource managers. Some of them have been working in a specific system for decades. What's difficult, I think, is accepting that in some cases you have to go back to square one and reassess your assumptions and change, changing your goal is, is difficult. It's even more difficult sometimes to face the reality that your treasured ecosystem might not be able to remain in its current state and may have to be transitioned to something different, to a new ecosystem type. What makes this easier is that the process is very similar to what they already do. Science underpins it all. Paul Elson is a WCS climate adaptation scientist. His work is helping to inform the decisions those folks on the ground are making. Much of my prior and current work is focused on trying to understand how climate impacts wildlife communities. And a consistent pattern that we see for wildlife around the world is species responding to warming temperatures by shifting their distributions poleward and to higher elevations to access cooler temperatures, try to basically persist in the climatic environment that they're used to. As a global society, we've already invested a lot of resources into protecting ecosystems to ensure they can support wildlife and people. But as Paul points out, those investments are largely based on historical data. But now that species are increasingly on the move, those protected areas may not adequately afford the protection that they once did. If, for example, a species needs to move fully outside of a national park to find a suitable climate in which to live. And that's a really big problem. Um, and it's really inspired me to try to understand how we might need to modify our conservation work or our strategies to account for the fact that wildlife and people are already responding to climate impacts and that our previous strategies may no longer be functioning as they once they once were. Recent work Paul was involved with is meant to help inform the decisions being made on the ground with respect to ecological integrity. We know, Paul says, that improving the quality of an ecosystem improves the outcomes for wildlife. What we want to highlight in this perspective is the underappreciated fact that there's now a lot of evidence that shows that improving the quality of an ecosystem and improving the ecological integrity also helps nature and people adapt to climate change. Protecting a forest that grows larger, taller, and denser also buffers warm temperatures and provides a larger range of microclimates that species can use to avoid things like extreme heat events without their need to travel long distances to find a cooler environment. Ultimately, Paul says, we're doing the same conservation work we've always done, protecting ecosystems for people and for wildlife. But climate adaptation is putting a necessary lens on those decisions to ensure we maximize our effectiveness. For WCS Wild Audio, this is Dan Rosen. Today's episode was produced and reported by Dan Rosen with help from Hannah Kaplan and Nat Moss. The WCS Wild Audio podcast is a production of the Wildlife Conservation Society. Please join us next week for a new episode and don't forget to rate or review the show wherever you get your podcasts.